Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is MJ. And I'm Liz. And we're your host of Sisters in Crime. Hey guys, before we begin, I want to apologize for missing last week's episode. We took off for Labor Day, but last week we were struggling with uploading issues and other personal things that just made it hard to upload the episode. That being said, this episode was recorded back in July, so Liz will not be joining me on this one. She was actually out of town visiting family during this scheduled recording, but she'll be back on track next week and she'll be leading the episode for those wanting more of her, so please be patient. She is coming. With that being said, I'll toss the mic back to MJ from three months ago. Hey guys, thank you so much for tuning in to a brand new episode. Today we'll be talking about the mysterious death of Maitreese Richardson. This episode was actually suggested by one of our followers, Ashley. Ashley's great. She sent us a whole list of suggestions, so we're kind of slowly working through those, but this is the one from that whole list that really stuck out to me. So I wanted to cover this one just for you, Ashley. Thank you so much for supporting the podcast. Thank you to everybody who supports the podcast. You guys are all great. But without further ado, just letting you guys know that I am solo this week. So bear with me and buckle up because this one is wild. Let's get started. Maitreese was born on April 30th, 1985. She's actually birthday twins with my brother-in-law, so shout out to him. But she was born to her mom, Latisse Sutton, and Michael Richardson. Her parents separated when she was still young, and her mother remarried a man named Larry. Although she was raised by Latrice and Larry in Covina, California, she maintained a relationship with Michael. Growing up, she was a social butterfly. She could spark up a conversation with just about anyone. And that didn't change as she got older. Maitreese graduated high school and enrolled into California State University in Fullerton, where she eventually graduated with a degree in psychology. Everything seemed to be well with Maitreese, and her life seemed to be on track with whatever her plans may have been at the time. From their perspective, no one in Maitreese's family could have predicted her untimely death based on her actions around this time. Things like weird status updates, breaking up with her long-term girlfriend, and even lack of communication with her parents. It wasn't until September 17, 2009, at around 6 p.m., when Maitreese's mom was reporting her missing, that the pieces of the puzzle began to fall into place. Let's backtrack a bit. On the evening of September 16th, the day before, Maitreese drove up the coast to Joffrey's restaurant in Malibu. Mind you, she lived in Los Angeles, so this was about a 45-minute drive for her. On arrival, she had to pay for valet as the restaurant didn't offer self-parking options. In the few minutes that it took the valet to park her car and come back to hand her the keys, he found Maitreese digging through his glove box. How she got access to the car and what she was doing in there in the first place is beyond me. Understandably upset, the valet asked Maitreese what she was doing there, and to this day, the valet has not been able to decipher what it is that she said to him. Regardless, he walks her into the restaurant and goes about his day. Once inside the restaurant, she asks the host to sit her alone, which she does. 
she orders herself a very nice steak dinner and a very fancy cocktail. As she waits for her meal, she notices a group of people laughing and having a good time one table over. She feels like she's missing out on the fun, so she decides to walk over. Maitreese interrupts their conversation mid-sentence and begins blabbering about random nonsense. Just like the valet, the people at the dinner table couldn't make sense of what Maitreese was even trying to say. Eventually, restaurant staff asked her to return to her seat, which she did without much of a fight. Maitreese enjoys her dinner, finishes her meal, gets up, and starts to head for the door. Realizing that she didn't pay for her bill, the server rushes after her and stops her in her tracks. The server confronts Maitreese about the unpaid bill, but she again starts spewing nonsense, so the server calls the manager over. The manager asks Maitreese how she plans on covering the bill, which was about $90. Seems a little steep for me, considering it's a steak dinner, but this is Malibu and the restaurant is pronounced Joffrey's even though it's spelled Jeffrey's, so... You know, we gotta understand. But anyways, Maitreese at this point isn't even making an attempt to pay her bill. She doesn't even have her wallet with her. The manager tells Maitreese that she isn't allowed to leave until her bill is settled. And she even suggests that she call someone who can provide credit card information over the phone to process the payment. Maitreese decides to call her great-grandma, Mildred. Mildred unfortunately wasn't able to help settle the debt, and about 30 minutes into this back and forth, the manager finally decides to call the LA County Sheriff's Department. Unfortunately, Mildred wasn't able to help settle the debt, and after about 30 minutes of this back and forth, the manager decides to call the LA County Sheriff's Department. What are y'all's thoughts on the call? I think the manager was pretty straightforward during the call and she told dispatch exactly what was going on, she described Maitreese's behavior, she mentioned that she thought she might be on drugs and described her clothing at the time as a black blouse and blue jeans. Keep that in mind because it will come up again. Sheriffs arrived on the scene not too long after the call ended and began talking to Maitreese who seemed to be back to normal. They asked about her settling the bill which is when Maitreese mentioned that her wallet might be in the car. Police asked if they could search her vehicle for the wallet, which she agreed to. As they are looking for her wallet, police found about an ounce of marijuana in the center console. Marijuana laws have definitely changed in the state of California since 2009, but at this time the use of medical or recreational marijuana was still very much illegal. Because of the possession of marijuana and the inability to settle her debt with the restaurant, the officers decided to arrest Maitreese. Officers drove Maitreese to the sheriff's department and called the tow truck in the area to tow her car from the restaurant as it couldn't stay in the parking lot. At this point, Letizia had gotten a call from Mildred explaining that she had gotten a weird call regarding Maitreese. Letizia decided to call the restaurant, which is when they told her that the police had already arrested Maitreese. Therefore, Letizia decides to call the police department. Knowing what I know now about the case, listening back to this 911 call gives me chills. Two things in particular stick out to me. One, when Latisse says, I would hate to wake up to a morning report lost somewhere with her head chopped off. And two, I feel safe with her being in custody, it's the release that I'm worried about. During the call, the operator had told Latisse that they would not be releasing her until the morning, which she mentioned would be the only way she wouldn't make the almost one hour drive up to the station. On arrival, they began to process and book Maitreese into the jail, and officers were just in disbelief how this person who they were booking was the same person who the manager described over the phone. Maitreese looked fine. She was not acting strange, she was not speaking gibberish, and she did not seem to be impaired in any way. 
Although officers thought about holding her till the morning, they really couldn't justify doing so. So around 12.30 a.m., Matrice walked out of the sheriff's department. Keep in mind, she didn't have her phone, she didn't have her wallet, she didn't have her car, she didn't have anything. She was quote-unquote in the middle of nowhere. And I forgot to mention this earlier, but she did not call her mom when she was booked in the jail. Um, I'm not sure if it was offered or not, but she didn't do it. So keep that in mind. And now a quick word from today's sponsor. Fast forward to around 5 a.m. September 17th, Latisse calls the sheriff's department to inquire about Maitrees and when they plan to release her. To her surprise, she is told that Maitrees had been released a few hours earlier. At this point, Latisse is mad because what the hell? They literally told her about seven-ish hours ago that they weren't going to release her until the next day. And I have to give it up to Latisse. A person like me would have been freaking out. But if you guys listen to the calls, you'll see that Latisse is pretty calm through the entire phone call. Even, even when she's told that her daughter was released hours ago and they didn't even tell her, she's still very, very calm, very cool, very collected. And I'm putting a link to the phone calls in the description, guys, so definitely check that out. Regardless, during this phone call, you'll see that the operator keeps interrupting Latisse, kind of like dismissing and disregarding her concerns, I feel like. Maybe because at this point, Maitrice was 24 years old, and even though she's young, she's still an adult. Regardless, he advised Latisse to wait at least 24 hours before submitting a missing persons report. About an hour after the call ended, Bill Smith, a retired weatherman, called into the station claiming that there was an unknown woman in his yard. He didn't even know how she had gotten onto his property, considering that he lived in a secluded neighborhood and his home was surrounded by a tall gate. Officers were dispatched to search the area but found nothing. Around 6 p.m., Latisse made the drive up to Malibu and walked into the police station to file the missing persons report. This is when they tell her that someone spotted a woman whose description matched Maitrice. Latisse was super excited to hear the news, only for them to crush her hopes when they told her that this call was made 12 hours earlier. Can you imagine the anger, guys? Like, at this point, I I'm upset for her. And... At this point, what can she do with this information? This is 12 hours earlier. This is 12 hours old information. What can she do with that? She's not going to be in the same spot 12 hours earlier unless, you know, she's dead. So what can she do with this information? At this point, there really isn't much she can do other than file the missing persons report, which she does. Then she walks out of the station and heads towards the location where my trees might have been spotted. When Latisse is making her way to the area where, like I said, my trees might have been spotted, she makes it a point to mention that the terrain is awful. Lots of hills, cliffs, wooded areas, creeks. How in the hell did my trees travel all the way on here on foot? Regardless, as much as she looked around and tried to find my trees, Latisse was unsuccessful. Eventually, my trees' case was transferred to the LAPD because my trees was living in LA at the time. They started by searching Bill Smith's home again. The police department used scent tracking dogs and although they did pick up on her scent in the yard, they seemed to have lost it. When the scent trail led to nowhere, the investigators decided to take a look at Matrice's car, which had been sitting in the tow yard since the day of the restaurant. And that is so crazy, why didn't they think to do this earlier? As they searched Matrice's car for any evidence or clues to what might have led her to going missing, they found a journal full of crazy writings and theories similar to those Facebook statuses I mentioned earlier. 
They also found her wallet and credit card, which definitely had enough money to cover the $90 dinner at Joffrey's. But the writing in the journals kept creeping back into the investigators' minds. Could it mean anything? They were definitely not qualified to analyze the writings, so they handed the journal over to a psychologist in the police department. The psychologist concluded that Maitrese could have been suffering through a bipolar episode. At first, Latisse was taken aback. She never knew of any previous episodes and wasn't aware of any diagnosis Maitrese might have had. Eventually, Latisse did look into her family and realized that mental illness does run in the family and that bipolar episodes could be a real possibility. At this point, Maitrese's family felt like investigators were not doing enough to help the family find answers, so they hired a lawyer. This lawyer held a press conference where he made it clear that Maitrese's release could have been racially motivated. Had Maitrese been a white woman, would they have released her in an unknown area with no phone, no car, no wallet, no ride home? Absolutely not. So why was Maitrese released? Police reports showed that Maitrese was not under the influence and she wasn't having any cognitive issues at the time, so why wouldn't they release her? Five months later, on January 9th, 2010, a search party was assembled by hundreds of volunteers. The volunteers were instructed to keep an eye out for any disturbed bushes and broken branches off the cliffs, but also on the trails. Unfortunately, these searches led to nothing. Later in the year, Michael, Maitrese's dad, claimed to have seen her in Vegas, but that also led to nothing. After no updates and no Maitrese, the Richardson family decided to file six different lawsuits against the LA Sheriff's Department for negligence and wrongful death. Now, I was a bit confused as to how they're suing for wrongful death when they don't even know whether or not Maitrese is dead at this point. According to AllLaw.com, a wrongful death claim is a special kind of lawsuit brought when someone dies as a result of the defendant's negligent or intentional act. So, if this is the definition we're going by, how is it even possible to file this lawsuit? But anyways, as this is going down in the courtroom, police received another tip from an old friend of Maitrese who claimed to have also seen her in Vegas. So now these two sightings, one from Maitrese's dad, Michael, and one from Maitrese's old friend, lead investigators to Vegas. In Vegas, the investigators did take the time to speak to several people in the area to see if they've ever seen a woman like Maitrese in the area. A couple of them say yes, but honestly, this tip doesn't really lead anywhere either. Months passed with little to no movement, and just when we thought the case was getting cold and we were approaching the one-year anniversary, Malibu State Rangers make a devastating discovery. On Sunday, August 9th, 2010, the Rangers were out on a hike at the Dark Canyon when they discovered a human skull who still had black curly hair attached to it. On arrival, investigators also found clothing which matched what Maitrese was last seen wearing. About a week after the discovery, dental records were able to prove that this was in fact Maitrese. Although the autopsy came back and was left as undetermined death, the investigators decided to close this case and labeled it not a homicide. Maitrese's family was not content with this answer, and in 2011, after filing several lawsuits, the family was awarded $900,000 for the wrongful death of Maitrese Richardson. 
Well, this case will always baffle me if I'm being honest. And I know I've said this a lot this season. Um, I think it's just me growing and, and really analyzing things from different perspectives. I personally don't think there was enough evidence to rule this death a homicide. I do think that it's fair and it's justifiable that the family sued for wrongful death because I think had my trees, well, I know that had my trees not been released in the middle of the night with nothing, with no resources on how to get home, she probably wouldn't have died that night. No money's ever going to replace my trees, but it, it may it maybe helps ease the pain. Um, but I definitely don't think that there's enough evidence to say it was 100% a homicide or to say that it wasn't a homicide. So I want to know what you guys think. Do you guys think that this was a homicide? And if you do think it's a homicide, what are your theories? Like, I want to know what do you guys, why do you think it's a homicide? And if you don't think it's a homicide, I also want to know why you don't think it's a homicide. Thank you for listening to the Sisters in Crime podcast. You can find all pictures related to this case by visiting our Instagram at Sisters in Crime Pod or our Facebook page, Sisters in Crime Podcast. We'll be back next Wednesday with a brand new episode. Until then, bye! bye.